We see here in the chapter of uh, chapter 8 of Romans, it has many well-known verses, and many of which are promises given to God's people or to those who are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The chapter's main theme we see here is the benefits accompanying that great act of justification, how we have a deliverance from sin, not in or by ourselves, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, we didn't read it, but the verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. Another topic we see here in this chapter is seen clearly in the verses 12 to 17. And it's that of the adoption of God. And all the privileges that follow on from it. And what we can inherit because of our new standing then within the family of God. Verse 14 of the chapter says here, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For, they, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. To be able to call God our Father is a great privilege. It's being brought then into the family of a holy and a perfect and an all-knowing God. I feel it can't really be truly described or understood uh, until we really reach heaven because of all the benefits we can think or dream up of based on Scripture will only be but a drop in the ocean of what we can really receive upon our entrance into glory. Upon our salvation, we don't receive any of these benefits because we deserve them. Nothing could be further from the truth. We only receive what was earned by God's only Son and what He deserved alone. We receive freely because of God's grace to fallen man. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Jude here as well in Jude 1 and 24 emphasizes the work and the effort of our loving Father. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Not just to present you faultless, but it's the joy. It's the joy of the Lord to present us faultless and blameless. Not just here we have a God who is distant, or someone, but we have someone here who actually takes the role of a comforting and a guiding and an instructing father in all things. And that is the mindset we need, I believe, to have before we come to see our text verse here in the verse 28. A loving Heavenly Father who knows the beginning, the middle, and the ends of all things, both in this life and what is set to be in eternity. And so too then gives us this promise as in verse 28, to turn to not only just in the times of difficulty as is often done, but also to live, to command us to live by it. So then let's see firstly then the reward promised in this verse, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. We know. The words there, we know. Paul here is writing to the church in Rome and he says, we know. This is a specific, uh, this instruction is specific to the we, to those, that W-E, that people. The we being those then who have received, believed, understood, and live by the knowledge of God. And is what he has done and is continuing to do for us. The Christ ones, as the writer of the book of Acts earlier calls them, it says there Christians were first called, they were first called Christians at Antioch. So then as believers, our ears then should be pricked. Our ears should be pricked of these words in the verse 28. For that's for us to attend to. 
This is to the believers for us to attend to. We know then also shows, not just to a certain people, but it shows a certainty here. And we can say it, that it's a surety that Paul had, and that we can too have as believers, because it's a sure belief in Christ. It's the knowledge of the work that Christ has done upon the cross, who he truly is. He's the Son of God. Matthew writes in the book of uh, in his book, in the chapter 3, it's a heavenly here, a heavenly confirmation of this fact. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Not only just as a knowledge of uh, Christ, God's Son, but also a knowledge of God the Father, who we're considering more so tonight. Isaiah 64 and verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou our potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. Also as well, the Trinity, we cannot leave the Trinity incomplete because the three works together. It's a knowledge as well of the God, the Holy Spirit. And John 16 and, and verse 13 says there, How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. As we said there, it's a complete work of the Trinity, the triune God working together. Not only just a triune God, but a covenanting triune God who set the promise before time of what they would do to man because of their promise. Not because of who man is or anything that man has done, but because of who God is and because he is a jealous God and he requires to be glorified. That is why he done all these things and set everything in his plan. Paul's knowledge here as well, when he says we know the knowledge that he has, it's not just an individual understanding or something personal to him. But it is only by an understanding that is governed by Scripture. And that's why then it is universal to us all as believers. The Word of God alone should be not just a guidance or an aim, but it should be the grounding and the stone and the rock which we build our Christian lives. Just as the law was given to Moses and to the children of Israel was written upon the tablets of stone, it was to be unchanging. It was to be undistorted, not turned or twisted to fit into man's thinking or the, thing, or the thinking of the time. Because we know that times can change, people can change, the world may change, but God's words will not change. And what is required by God will never change. It's because of who he is that will never change. He is the unchanging God. We're reminded of this here in Malachi 3. The book of Malachi here is nearing the end of the Old Testament uh, age. And it's pointing here even in Malachi towards Christ who is coming to, and to bring them to remembrance of why the children of Israel are really upon this earth. There had an apathy had crept in. And there was so much so that the Lord then had withdrawn his hand from protecting his people. And is this not even true of today? Maybe even of ourselves. I know personally I even felt this, even as going over this myself. An, ap an ap apathy towards the true demands of God's word for us. What is really required of us as believers, taken upon the name of Christ. So much we can think of today is emphasized of the, a God of love and a God of compassion and the grace of God. And yes, there's a true evidence of that. And we all here sitting in this meeting tonight alive is an evidence of the grace of God that we're not cut off from this life. We're here again under the word of God. We can hear again of God's word directing us and giving us that chance again to repent from our follies of self-centered living of following and leaning maybe towards the lust of the flesh, of growing cold, of leaving our first love. But let us turn again, even as God cried there 
And Ezekiel 33 and 11, it says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Yes, there is a time of mercy. But alongside that runs the demand of God for justice because of a failure to perfectly abide in his law. The covenant God, Jehovah, stills his anger for a time. But we must not confuse his grace with appeasement for our wrongdoing. Malachi 3 in verse 1 says there, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be swift, witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against the false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his right. And fear me not, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord, for I am the Lord, I change not. That's why the sons of Jacob, even there, is talking of the children of Israel, can mean as well as the believers, the chosen of God. And that's why we're not concerned, because he is the Lord God, Jehovah. And he will honor his covenant. He will give us that time, and give us that time of grace. But there is a payment that is due. Not only that, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, God says. Multiple times in the New Testament, three times that same text there is in Matthew and Mark and in Luke. So then not only it's, uh, it's a knowledge that we have and it's to us as believers, but also then all things work together for good. That means in everything. It means in the good and the bad and the ugly. But how can this be? How can God condone evil or of any part with anything evil that would happen? Verse John 1 and verse 5 says, Then this then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if there be no darkness, if there be no sin within God, how can he make what seems evil to us work together for our good or in the lives of his chosen or the predestinated people, as it says there in verse 29 of the chapter? It is not that he condones evil or condones the wrongdoing, but it's that he withdraws his hand to then allow us to go after our own lusts of the flesh, to go after the natural way of man. We see here Genesis 20 and 6, we see the guiding hands of God here, even in the life of an ungodly. This is about Abimelech. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Here we see God's staying hands, as we said, even in the life of an ungodly sinner. One who was not saved, but yet God was in control. He only allowed him to go so far. As well, Asaph reminds us here in the psalm, Psalm 73 in the verse 2, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. 
Have we a clean heart tonight? Is our heart clean? Have we prepared ourselves even before we come to this meeting tonight? What is our mindset? What is our thinking as we come to the prayer time? As we come to Lord's good, Lord's, the, the Lord's work? As we come to even lift the Bible at home? Is it something that's a rush to be done? Something that's just done? Or is there a love? Is there a care and is there attention even as our Heavenly Father has toward us? He keeps us here. He keeps us sure. He keeps us steadfast here. It says truly God is good to Israel. But how often is it not even as we see the second half of this verse in the Psalm 2 of our own heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bonds in their death. For their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. This was Asaph here. He looked to the world. He was in a, in a trouble. He was in a difficulty. He was struggling. And they looked around him to those that was doing just whatever they wanted. It wasn't following. And yet he was trying to do the best he could. And yet it was difficult for him. And it says here his feet had now slipped. Why was that? Well, when we look around us, are we not the same? How often do we not begin to crumble? Even as we think there as well of Peter, he began to sink in the midst of his difficulty in the water. And why was it? Because he wasn't constantly looking. He didn't continue to constantly look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith. And this even here, where we can see the misuse or the misunderstanding of this text, and I even had it in my own time for it, for it, in my own mind for a time as well. This text can obviously be seen here uh, of times of difficulty. It can be I even sent a message to people here. All things work together for good. You know, those things are difficult. But it's not that. It's to be in the good. or to remember all things work together. In the bad, two things are all going to all work together. We're going to be constant. Because the love of God is constant. The grace of God is constant. The only thing that ebbs and flows is our purpose and our focus towards it. The devil here, he persistently attacks. Sometimes, yes, maybe to bring a hardship or a difficulty to us. But how often is the devil not the sly old fox and he comes with the ease of life? And when things are easy, things are going well. Oh, well here, don't we fall the easiest? We think, ah, I'll be all right. I'll let the Bible sit today in a rush. It's okay. I read yesterday, that'll do me. And then how often is it so easy then? Once, we fail once, and it begins to multiplies over, multiplies over. The chorus says, it says, looking ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. Looking ever, being constant. The constant variable. God is constant. He cannot change, but we are not. We need to seek and to realize in our own spirit of humiliation that we need then to constantly come to him for our source of energy. Not just physical, but he does. He supplies our physical need, but even more so spiritual in God's work. God is not only able to complete then this promise, but he also was willing. We say that, they said that the Lord there, he said he was exceeding joy. He wanted to. It was joyful for him to be able to give, the, give these promises and have them fulfilled to his people. But also then there's a requirement, or a requirement for something for us to do. So we see here then finally the requirement then pronounced in the verse. And it says there in those words, to them that love God. What is it to love God? We touched on this a bit earlier. Exodus 20 and verse 6 says, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Keeping the law of God shows our love then to him. Again, John 14 and 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. 
We see this maybe even clearer, and I know, uh, I know since it's become the father, it's changed my way of looking at the world and looking at the Bible and looking at things completely different. Um, one word, way of looking at this verse is looking at it in reverse. And it helps us see this, see that the requirement is here for us. And we read it here as is in reverse. It says, Them who are called according to his purpose love God and work together for good in all things. That's the evidence. Are we then fulfilling, fulfilling the requirement of loving God in all things at all times and in every way? Is this not even what we were reminded of in the Sabbath day past? Reminded here to walk as Jesus walked. He had a love for his father. He said he had that constant the work of God. He even said to his earthly parents, he says, Wist he not that I must be about my father's business? That's what came first. If we're really honest tonight in ourselves, the answer has to be no. We do not constantly fulfill this on the level we should. We will never be perfect while we're on, on this earth, but we are still to try to attain to it. We're to press toward the mark. We're to fight the good fight. We're to continually fight against the wills of the devil and the world and the flesh. Not only is it against us, but even too within us, the flesh within us. It's not easy, it's difficult, but the Lord is able. And he's made provision. He says, he will give to them that ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. That's where it helps to come from. It helps to come from God alone. We must be constantly then working, constantly learning, constantly leaning on Christ in a true state of humiliation, realizing that we can do nothing, realizing that we can't trust in ourselves for anything or even the things of man, things around us. Amos 6 and 1 that says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. The cry there is, woe to them who are at ease in Zion. If they're at ease, we're no worry here in the Lord's work. It's all right, we're all right. Look here to the mountains, the physical things around us to protect us. Nobody can attack us. They'll never come over the mountain of Samaria. But no, we're charged not to do that. It says woe. It says be aware. That's what it means, be aware, be cautious. Maybe we'll have that mentality. That's, that's easy to come. And we can see it. And I've heard it, and so many, talking to so many believers even out in the world today. It says, oh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and I've done my part. No, I'm at ease, I'm all right. And the thought come to me, even as I studying through this here, that of a man who was at ease in the Bible. And the words God sent to me, says, thou fool. Now, the man, he had a, he had a great harvest. Oh, I've wondered, I've planted to keep me going. I'll build my bigger barns. I'll, I'm all right, I'm sorted. But God came to him, and he says, thou fool. Tonight, that'll be required. He'd thought he didn't need God anymore. He had enough of himself. And maybe that's not, I'm not saying that's our way of thinking, but it's easy to go that way. And it starts with one thing after another. Maybe even your thought is as well. It's not on the same level, but maybe I'm not capable, or I'm getting too old, or it's more, it's how could it be difficult for me? I've too much pressure with my children, or with my job, or with all these different things. And that's what the word does. The world uses these things that are good and that are needful, but they're not the necessity. The necessity and the first calling for the believer is the work of God. Our God, we're thankful and we know that he is an all-knowing God. And though this may be some of our mindsets and this may be some of the troubles we would have, we can think of our, our verse, all things. Though it's difficult, though it's hard, or maybe it's easy, all things work together 
for good to them that love God and it's love God constantly. They continue. They love God and they work at loving God. They work in the love of God. God, Our God is an all-knowing God and he has given a specific task for you. He has given you a specific uh, set of skills for you to do something in the, in the work for him. Whether it be in the church, whether it be in the home, whether it be in the workplace, wherever it is. We're reading even tonight there before we come out. And it's, it's one of my favorite. Uh, I learned uh, his name when I was younger and I never forgot it. Of Ehud. Ehud the judge. And I liked it mainly because I was left-handed. And his main trait and characteristic was that he, he was left-handed. So he was fit to put the dagger in where nobody expected it. But God used him because of that. And the thinking of the, uh, of the day of the world to be left-handed a long time ago. We were at Oma Folk Park there not so long ago on our holidays. And uh, they asked the question, is anybody left-handed? And I put up my hand and she says, oh, I says, no, you're not allowed to be left-handed. And that was the thinking not long, a long time ago. Left-handed people were of no use. They couldn't be used. But yet, this man here was left-handed and the Lord used him. Though the world or other people viewed him as inferior and not able to be done, the Lord still had a purpose for him. And we all, the matter of our age, the matter of our standing, the matter of our responsibilities, we all have a job to do that we need to be constant in for the Lord. And on that that thought, we think here in light here of what's coming, what then have we done for him? Or what are we seeking to do for him? The announced there in the weeks past, and it's coming, it's coming forward there, have the children's mission coming? Outreach. What are we doing for that? The gospel mission. What are we doing for the Lord to get those into the gospel mission? The revival conference. What are we doing to get those to come in here to be revived again by the God, by the Spirit of God alone? What are we doing in the light then of that of our family and our friends, of those who are heading to a lost of eternity? What are we doing? What does it stir us to be moved? Does it stir us to be involved in the work of God? Or are we apathetic? Oh, well, here. That's all right. I'll get them in the church. That's good, yes, get them in the church, but the church can't save them. We need to bring them to Christ. And the best example our friends and our family has is us. And as Christ wants then, we're to be the example of Christ. We're to be the salt and the light of the earth. We're to be as we're that sign set on the hill for our family and our friends. We have that responsibility. If nothing else, that is our constant role as believers. To refine our hearts, to purify our hearts, to purify our lives. Not according to what the world thinks, but according to what the word of God requires. And if we don't know, Maybe we have, which I don't know really what the Lord has me to do this year or this week or this month. As we said, we have an all-knowing God. And in Job 23 and verse 10, it says, but he knoweth the way that I take. Again, he's made provision. If we don't know, I say it again, he's promised to give to them that ask. And there's no better place than we're here tonight at the time of prayer to come and to ask the Lord to help us. To come and realize how big of a failure we are really before, before God. Because we can do nothing. There's none that doeth good. No, not one, the Bible says. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. God even said that himself. And they come and said to him, Good master, why callest thou me good? Our Heavenly Father is the one who is good. Our Heavenly Father is the one who's made the good and the perfect uh, preservation for us. To be preserved for all eternity. So under then a love and a care for God, we should then have a love and a care for others to go and to tell them of that preservation. No matter how difficult it may be, no matter how difficult it may be, and I'm right there with you. I'm one thing, and, I, and there are many, many times I regret of missed opportunities throughout my life with people I have worked with, 
with even people in my family. There was opportunities to say a thing and I gave in. I neglected it. I refrained back. And the reason was it wasn't that the Lord didn't have anything for me to say. The reason was that I, hadn't, I wasn't truly prepared that day to say it. And I'll tell you that honestly and sorrowfully before God. That's why one thing, the most important thing we can have in life is a daily communion with God. Daniel did it three, three times a day, but there's no limit. I try to emphasize it both for myself and even for the family too. For morning and for night, as you rise up, as you go to bed, you begin your day with the Lord and you go to bed thinking of the, thing, of the word of the Lord, asking afresh, realizing of your failures throughout the day. Take them to the Lord in prayer because he's the one then who can perfect them. He's the one then who can correct them and can uphold you because that's one thing can affect our mindset. The worries and the strifes of are we really saved it comes in all the time. How could I have done this? How could I have let the Lord down so badly? Think again of the example of Peter. He fell away from the Lord. He denied. He come to the stage where he denied the Lord himself. He denied him thrice. But we think again of that text in Jude. He is willing. He is able. Jude, Jude 1, it says, Now unto him he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He wants to present you faultless. Our love for him will grow as our knowledge of him grows. That is why in every case and every rule we must ask what saith the scriptures. Second Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God and the workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. And for a long time I thought, well here that's just for the ministers. That's just for the people he's preaching. But rightly dividing the word of God and the word of truth, that's for you in your life. In your devotion with God, you need the Spirit of God to divide it for you there and then, to give you the message. So you can step out in that, that morning and say, the Lord has spoken to me, the Lord has given me this message in my heart, and I can tell this message to someone. Because it's not of me, because it's of God, because it's of God's Word. And growing closer then to God as well, we will become more like Him. And we'll become more at peace in the midst of all things. Isaiah 32 and 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. So we say again our text. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. The purpose of God then, as is in Matthew 21 and 29. And it says, son, that can mean daughter, man or woman. It's open to anyone. Go work today in my vineyard. And as we think in this parable here, there's two outcomes. At the beginning, the both of them said, no, I'm not going to work. But one came with a repentant heart and followed after the action then and followed and worked in the vineyard. And it was him then that the Lord Jesus Christ said, he agreed as whenever they said, that who did the will of the master? The one who repented. And that's one we should have. Every day a repentant uh, behavior, a repentant attitude before God, because we will, we will feel. But it's not our failures we're to dwell on it's the one who has not failed, the one who is perfect. We look on to Jesus, and he's the one who can then lift us and uphold us. And we have it before us. We have great privileges and great freedom even in this country. We have the word of God freely in our homes, freely in our churches, although it's coming fast to be against. We think we see that out, the oldness, the hardness of the world and the flesh and how they're coming, they're trying to bite bit by bit. 
take away protection by protection that the Lord has given us in this land. And that's something we need to pray and plead for again. That the Lord would come again. Because that apathy, I think, that I believe that's there. The Lord has begun to pull his hand away. You can see it. It's clear. And if we don't see it, I don't know. I think we need to search the scriptures again. Because it's clear that the Lord is far away from this poor wee country. And we need the Lord to be here beside us. We need him to be leading us. We need him to be guiding us. Because we can do nothing of ourselves. 1 John 5 and verse 14. Then in closing it says, And this then is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So as we come to pray tonight, let us ask for anything. For it says here, we have the confidence in him. Not in ourselves, not in the words we say, not in the acts we do, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the perfect, finished work of Christ. He cried out as finished. And even though he cried out as finished, he is still continuing to intercede for us. He perfects our words, even as we pray. And he'll do so tonight, if we ask him, if we seek him. Amen. Let's turn even now then to the time, the time of prayer.